I want to begin reading in Mark 14, verse 1. This is recorded in Matthew and in John, the same event, the same story. But Mark 14, verse 1, we read here, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Amen. We'll end there at the end of verse 9. But let's seek the Lord in prayer. Let's ask his help as we come to consider this. Let's pray. Our Father, we do desire to do what you've called us to do. To the best of our ability, we want to do it. And we want to be faithful servants in your kingdom, whatever aspect of that kingdom you've called us to. We pray that uh, you would give us a heart and a mind for the work. Just We remember Nehemiah and how you gave the people a mind to work, a, a heart to serve, a heart to go forward. Uh, they saw a, a greater vision, much bigger and larger than themselves. And they saw uh, even a, a generation following that they were laboring for their good and for their welfare. And so we pray that you'll help us tonight as we consider this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to consider this woman who poured out this container of ointment over Christ's head. Uh, some thought that what she had done was an absolute waste. Why waste such an expensive ointment? Pouring it out, just wasting it, pouring it out over, over somebody. But Jesus' opinion of this woman and her actions was very different than the crowd. Jesus said, let her alone. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? Why are you complaining? Why are you murmuring against her? She hath wrought a good work on me. And then, really verse 8, that first part is our text. She hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. And what she did was 
in that simple act, she gave her all for Christ. That was it. She gave her all for Christ. Christ knew that what that woman had done was the best thing that she could have done. I remember it was several years ago reading this, I was struck with the thought. You know, we read this passage and we don't know how many people were in this room. It was Simon the leper. You know, his disciples were with him. So add another 12 to that, there's 13. Here's this woman, that's 14. Jesus, 15. Um, dinner party, how many people were there? We don't know. Somebody in that room could have done better. But she was the only one that did anything. Somebody probably could have done better than what she did. Somebody could have served Christ better. But they didn't. That's just the point. They didn't. But she did. On the other hand, perhaps compared to somebody else in the room, her actions may have been extravagant. There may have been in that room the woman with the two mites that never could have had a 300 pence box of ointment. And all she was able to do was wash Jesus' feet with her tears. But the comparison between other people is not the point. It's not that one could have done better and one wasn't able to do as much. The focus is the fact that this woman did something. She hath done what she could. And it's very clear from these verses that what this woman did was an act of faith and it demonstrated an understanding of who Christ really was and what Jesus was about to do. If I can put it very simply this way, it seems as if she was the only one in the room that got it. She was the only one in the room, it seems, that understood the gravity of the situation and what Jesus was about to do. And Jesus knew that. So you see in verse 8, she has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. She got it. She understood that this one that she was anointing, this one that she loved so dearly, was the Son of God. The one who, not long after this, was going to lay down his life for sinners, was going to lay down his life for her. She got it. She understood it. And the Lord blessed this act of faith and this labor of love. He blessed it to such a degree, we're still talking about it today, as a fulfillment of Christ's prophecy, that wherever this gospel is preached, what this lady has done, 
you're going to hear about it. And the irony is we don't even know who the lady is. We're not sure. Many in church history, if you read commentaries on this, many people identify this as Mary, uh, the Mary and Martha Mary, the Mary, the brother of Lazarus Mary. Many people identify it as her. But we don't really know who it was. And it doesn't matter. She was a woman that loved Christ. She was a woman who understood what this man Jesus was about to do for her. And she did something. And the Lord blessed it. So I want to preach to you on the subject of giving Christ your all. Giving Christ your all. Three things to consider here this evening. First of all, you must give Christ your all because it's not a waste. It's not a waste to give Christ your all. Some of the people in that room we read here thought it was a waste. But Christ directly said that this woman was not wasting this perfume. She wasn't wasting this very costly spikenard. The Lord identified her actions as faithful, as acts of faith, as acts understanding who Jesus was and what he was about to do. The cost of this ointment is mentioned to us as 300 pence. We can kind of read over that and not really put it all together. But a pence, one pence, was a day's wages for an average worker. A day laborer. It was a day's wages. So you heads of houses, you know how much money you make. You know, start thinking about that. 300 days wages. It's an annual income. That's an annual salary, an, an annual wage. That's what this cost. This wasn't from Walmart. Right? This was something extremely valuable. Something that very few would have been able to own. And, and if they did, would have been used so sparingly. But this woman understand, understood the value of who she served. And she poured it out. Some said instead of wasting it, that they could have taken that money and given it to the poor. We, we know from John's account of this in John 12 that that was Judas and John gives us a little insight. He says in John 12, 6, This Judas said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear that was put therein. And, you know, here's, here's Judas watching like an annual salary being poured down the drain, as it were, from his perspective. And he's like, man, I'd love to get my hands on some of that money. But look at verse 6. The Lord tells these people, let her alone, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? Christ was praising her for her act of worship and for her devotion, and he rebuked the gainsayers. They were rebuking her, and Christ rebuked them because this woman had given her all. She, she poured out all for Christ. No matter what other people might say about you or think about you. To pour out your life for the Lord is not a waste. To give everything you have for Christ 
is not a waste. I would challenge you, young people. You have your whole life in front of you. Give the Lord the best years of your life. Don't give the Lord the leftover years of your life. Don't think that, you know, I'm going to do my career, I'm going to do my thing, and, and when I retire, kids move out, empty nest, well, then I'm going to... No, you won't. Give the best years that you have to, your life, to, to the Lord. Harness, harness youthful vigor and, and do something for Christ. Paul Washer, many of you would know who he is. I've heard Paul Washer speak to uh, seminary students. And he, he's talking to these seminary students about, you know, their future. And, you know, you want to go candidate at the big church with the, you know, the big youth group and, you know, the two services, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he says, forget about all that. Just go to the middle of nowhere and just burn out for Christ. Just go to the middle of nowhere and burn out for Christ. On January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, along with four of his missionary companions, were murdered, were speared to death by natives in Ecuador in the Amazonian jungle. Five years previous to that, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal these very famous words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can see a, a snapshot of Jim Elliott's journal. And he wrote that in his journal, not in the middle of a paragraph. It was just a line in his journal. And just above the journal, he writes what amounts to a prayer. And his prayer is for the Lord to strengthen preachers and the preaching of the word for the conversion of, of sinners is basically what he's getting at. And then he just writes that. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Many of you young people are at a major crossroads of life. You're facing major, major decisions. You know, we often talk about being called to the ministry. We focus that to young men, to you know, preachers, whatever. But you ladies, missionaries, uh, youth workers, children's workers, preachers, wives, etc. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how can I be sure I'm not called to the ministry? What if we had a different perspective? What if we had the perspective that we assumed we were called to gospel service? 
until the Lord puts roadblocks in front of us to such a, a way that we're diverted away from that. Not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody's called to the mission field. Of course not. Absolutely not. But what if instead of wrestling with, am I called? What if you tried to settle with the Lord? Lord, am I absolutely sure you've not called me? What if we had that different perspective? Decide now to burn out for Christ. Be sick and tired of mediocre, spineless, Hobby Lobby shopping, Chick-fil-A eating Christianity. You guys know that's my characterization of Southern Christianity. Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A eating Christians. All right, be sick of that. Right? Are, you, are you sick of that? Maybe you've heard the story of William Borden, uh, probably better known as Borden of Yale. He was the heir to a multi-million dollar fortune. Um, Borden cheese. You buy it at the grocery store still. He was the heir to the, the Borden dairy fortune. But the Lord had called him to the ministry. He was for a time at what eventually became Moody Bible Institute, uh, where D.L. Moody had been in Chicago. And he was called to minister with the China Inland Missions in, to Muslims in northern China. And he turned down you know, the family fortune to go serve Christ. And before he went to China, he stopped off in Cairo, Egypt for language training to live among some Muslims, to learn the language that these Muslims in northern China would have also spoken. And he contracted cerebral meningitis, and he died in Egypt. He never made it to China. And many would look at that kind of situation, you know, here's a man that would have been a, a multimillionaire, and he could have funded so much for the gospel. But he turned it down and went and what a failure. He didn't even make it to where he was headed. But you know it's not the case. He's inspired and influenced missionaries for generations since his death in 1913. And a whole host of missionaries, a whole host of Christians have been encouraged and inspired by the sacrifice for Christ that this man made. You know, many would look at the lives of people like Jim Elliott, William Borden, or a hundred other missionaries like them and say that their lives were wasted. But not in the eyes of the Lord they weren't. They weren't wasted at all. They gave everything for Christ. They did what they could. What have you done? The second thing here to consider is that you must give Christ your all because it is the only logical response to grace. You give Christ everything because it's the only logical response to grace. That's what this woman understood. She understood what Christ was about to do. She understood that Christ was about to go to the cross 
that he was going to be slain at the hands of wicked men. She might not have known everything that was going down, but she got it. She understood that Christ was, was going to, to die for her sins. She, she perceived him as the Messiah, the one that God had sent. And so she was there in an act of worship before the Lord. This was, if you will, her response to grace. The grace that she had known from Christ. The forgiveness of her sins that she knew from Christ. Turn with me to Romans 12. I won't steal all Pastor Kimbrough's thunder. He's got a little while before he gets to chapter 12. So you'll forget this by the time he gets there. Romans 12. These are verses you know. But I just want you to look at them. So... Romans 12 obviously comes after Romans 11. Chapters 1 to 11 of Romans really deal with the substance of gospel truth, the essence of gospel truth. And, and it's, it's where the Apostle Paul is communicating in a more full way than he does anywhere else in the Bible, the truth of, of the gospel. And chapter 12 marks an obvious transition in the book. And so he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. And, and the therefore is the, in light of everything he said so far, the, the whole corpus of, of gospel truth that he's recorded. He said, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And here's what you do. Here's how you respond to this. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But in verse 1 there, he presents this living sacrifice, presenting your body as a living sacrifice as the Christian's reasonable service. This, this, is, a logic, this is the logical response to grace. If you know a work of grace in your heart, you're thankful for that work of grace in your heart, how shall we then live? Well, here it is. It's a life of sacrifice. A life of sacrifice for Christ. Total sacrifice and total surrender is the only logical response to the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean everybody has to be a preacher and all of you have to go to the mission field. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that whatsoever you do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. And your whole life, your whole life is in that filter. Your whole life is in that. It doesn't matter what the Lord's called you to do, whether he's called you to dig ditches, to climb power poles, to be an accountant, or to go to the mission field, whatever, whatever it is, do it for Christ. Be completely, completely sold out for the Lord. This is your your reasonable service. This woman poured this perfume out because she knew her master And she knew what he was about to do. Like I said, we don't even know who she is. It doesn't matter. But whoever she was, 
She was a woman thankful for grace, a woman who knew Christ as her Savior, a woman who obviously had much to be thankful for. And she was doing what she could to demonstrate that, to show that to her Savior. When Christ has done so much for you, so much for me, what other response is even remotely close to being the right response than total sacrifice and total surrender, giving all to Christ? And then the last thing, that is you must give Christ your all because Christ deserves it. He deserves it. Verse 7 you know, the, the, this big hullabaloo of, of, you know, this waste is all this money could have been used for the poor. And Christ says to them, you've got the poor with you all the time. Poor's, you know, there are poor people everywhere. You, you can minister to them anytime you want to. But me, you have not always. Christ was about to go. He was about to die for them. What everyone else was calling a waste Christ recognized to be a good work. Now, pay attention to this for just a moment. She never communicated what she was doing. You look at the various passages where this is recorded, she never speaks. She never walks over to Jesus. We don't have recorded her communicating I'm pouring this out because I know you're about to die for me. She doesn't do that. She just does it. And Christ is able to see through the actions right to the very heart and motive of this woman. All the people around were just looking at the action. And they said, this action is foolish. Why would anybody do this foolish thing? But Christ saw her heart. Christ knew her motives. Christ knew what was there. You may have people around you that see you serving the Lord, and they may say, what you're doing is foolish. Why would you waste your life that way? Or why would you do this, that, or the other thing that... In the eyes of the world is foolishness. But we don't live before them. We live before the God of heaven. A God who sees the heart. He knows if what you're doing is to be seen of men. Of course. And you won't receive praise if that's what you're up to. If you're doing it to be seen of men, then you have your reward. The Bible's clear on that. You have your reward. And congratulations. Pat you on the back. But this woman wasn't doing anything to be seen of men. This wasn't a show. This wasn't a flamboyant demonstration of her wealth. She wasn't being showy, flashy. That wasn't the point of what she was doing at all. The Lord saw the motive of her heart and said, this woman's done a good work. Nobody else in the room had done anything. She did something. She did what she could. She knew what Christ was about to do. She knew who he was. Christ deserves the very, the very best from us. You know, I just said just a moment ago that a complete surrender to Christ is the only logical response to grace. But here's the, the bare truth. Had the Lord never shown you any grace, 
he still deserves the very best you have. If the Lord had never done anything for you, he still, he still is worthy of all of your praise and all of your adoration. But thankfully, we don't live there. We don't live in a vacuum of nothingness from God. We don't live in these circumstances where the Lord has not been gracious to us, where the Lord has not been merciful to us. We rejoice that the Lord has been abundantly merciful and abundantly gracious to us. And we rejoice in that. So in light of the salvation that you have in Christ, he deserves, he deserves the very best that you have. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the supreme, the sovereign judge of the universe. He doesn't deserve your leftovers. He doesn't deserve mediocre service. He doesn't deserve apathy. He deserves the very best that you have. And I hope this doesn't come across as offensive or mean. I don't mean it that way at all. The very best that you have might not be very good. But if you remember what we were saying this morning, that's not the point. The labor that you have, you, you, might, you might not be very good at serving the Lord. Like, you can't speak well or sing well or you're afraid to talk. To, whatever you think, I don't know what you're thinking. But maybe you perceive, oh, I'm not very good. That's not the point. Give of your best to the master. And so I'll just close with the words of that hymn that we just sang. Give of your best to the master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give, and to you it will be given. God, his beloved son, gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him, give him the best that you have. Amen. Let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, as we prayed this morning, we don't believe that you lead us to passages like this to mock us, but you, you lead us to things like this to encourage us to press on. And we're very willing to admit that we are feeble and frail. We're very willing to admit that our labors in the past have been maybe not very good. But Lord, you, you do know our hearts. You know the desire of our hearts to serve you. Pray for the young people here that from their very earliest days would have a resolve to serve you all their days, wherever life takes them, wherever, whatever you call them to, wherever you send them, whatever, whatever you want them to do. We pray that they would have that spirit and attitude that we see in the prophet Isaiah. Here, my Lord, send me. And that spirit and attitude of, the, of Saul right after his conversion, where he, he said simply, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And he went and did it by the power of the Spirit. 
And so we pray that you would strengthen and enable us to go forward in your service. We pray that you'll bless this week that's before us. We pray that you'll provide for what we need. We do pray for our brother Billy in the hospital. We, we lift him before you and we've, we've prayed for him so much over these past few days since we learned of him being there. And we do pray that you would comfort him. We pray that you would rest his mind and his body. We pray for Alice and that you would be very gracious in this entire situation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.